Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Good morning, sorry about that. Good to see you here. Um, as you have probably seen in the last few weeks, we like to share a piece of good news. And uh, if you haven't seen me in the last few weeks at the beginning of service, it's because I've been in Seeds and I've been doing uh, their message. But as I've been in Seeds, I've also had the opportunity to just watch the way Seeds has continued to move forward uh, with the three ladies who've been helping out, which is Amy Kang, Aram Lee, and Lisa Bay. And it's just a piece of good news that they have done so well in continuing to move this ministry forward, where sometimes if you have someone like Sue, who's, who works really hard, uh, or did work really hard, and uh, did so much, you think, oh, what's going to happen? And yet these three ladies have come together, and they've just done a wonderful job. I've enjoyed being at Seeds watching them. And so... If you like to just experience a, a little bit of joy on Sunday mornings, you can always uh, volunteer for Seeds, uh, which would be another good bit, bit of good news uh, if you wanted to do that as well. Otherwise, I am so glad that you are here today. Uh, we're going to be talking about waiting on and listening to God, which I'm pretty sure all of us have been just dying to listen to, but I think it's going to be really worth it. So if you want, you can open your Bibles if you have them or just... Pull out your phones is probably the way I should say it. I'm still a product of the 80s. Pull out your phones, pull up version or Bible Gateway, whatever it is. And we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 1. I like Nehemiah because Nehemiah is one of those books that I really uh, absolutely appreciate uh, in so many ways. Um, just seeing the way that God worked in his life. And today I want to talk about leadership. And if I were to ask you, uh, how would you define leadership? I think we would probably come up with a lot of definitions. For example, um, Henry Blackaby just lists all the kind of leadership definitions that are out there from all the leadership books that he have. And so this is not the be-all and end-all, but to me what I see leadership is leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. And what I mean by that is true leadership actually gets results. So there's positional leadership and there's practical leadership, but the kind of leadership that I think that God would call us to is the leadership that influences people the kind of leadership that actually gets results. Now, I know that sounds a little bit like, oh man, that's corporate, but by the end of this, I want us to see that the kind of results that God wants are not necessarily the same results that we are thinking about. So I figured I would test your pop culture knowledge and see if you could figure out who the top three influencers are on TikTok. All right, so... Uh, I'm going to start with the uh, gentleman on the left, because we're on the left now. Does anyone know who that is? You do. Okay, so we know what she does on her days off. No, I'm just hitting. Okay, uh, and who is that? Uh, K- Kabi. And you know how to say his last name? 
Lamay, that's right. You look at it and you say, Kabe, lame. And the first time I saw that, I thought, what kind of name is that? Why do you have a lame name? So, but, but it's Lamay. I'm guessing sort of kind of French. He is from Senegal. And he is supposed to be the number one influencer on TikTok. Can you guess how many followers he has? How many? A little over. On the price is right, you'd be disqualified. But that's okay. 81 million followers. 81, that's how as many people have voted for Joe Biden in the 2020 election. Isn't that amazing? 81 million followers. Uh, the person on the upper right-hand corner, does anyone know who she is? And if you do, <laughs> you think, okay, right, you're done. <laughs> Anybody? Nope, Bella Porch. Bella Porch, like who is she? She is a Filipino, and she also is an influencer on TikTok. Uh, how many followers do you think that she has? Anyone want to guess? It's got to be less. Did you say 75 million? 75 according to what I got, so you could be right. It could be, it could be 75 million. That's more people than voted for Trump in the 2020 election. So that's a lot of followers. And does anyone know the last... Lower right-hand corner. Okay, Patty, you do. That is? Yes, it is. Yeah. Now, here's the weird thing. She has like 119 million followers. So I don't know how she's in third. She should be in first. But either way, that's the way they did it. Those are people who are influencers in the world that they live in. That's a lot of people. People watch, and they are influenced by what they're watching on these people. Now, let me see if you recognize the next group of influencers. Yeah, that's us. And you know what? I'm so, this is terrible. I'm going to admit to you how selfish I am. But I can pick myself out in this picture. (laughs) Upper, left-hand corner, the guy on the end. That is me. And I did that on purpose. Oh, that just tells you there's some issues that need to be worked with. I'm telling you all of this because those three people have millions upon millions of people that they influence on a daily basis. I put ourselves up there because whether we realize it or not, we can be leaders. We can be people who influence the people who are around us. I think of someone like Jacob Lee back there at work and how he influences the people who are on his team. He touches people's lives People that I will never meet, but he touches their lives in a way that influences them. And I have to imagine that in this crowd, each and every one of us has the opportunities and possibilities to actually influence people who are around us. But just going beyond the idea that leadership is about influence, I want us to understand that Christian leadership, totally different than regular leadership, Christian leadership is influencing people toward conformity to Christ. So as followers of Jesus, the influence that we have on the world, the way that we can lead people is to lead them to Jesus and to be more like him. And so I bring all of this to one place because today I want to talk about a foundational activity of how an influencer actually gains more influence in the lives of people. It is by waiting on and listening to God. Now, I know Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. 
I'm not even sure if Nehemiah had in his mind a picture of Christ one day dying on the cross for our sins. I don't think he was prophetic, but I do think he was a leader. And I do believe that as a leader, he exemplifies what Christian leadership is in the sense that God called him to do something and he did it. And the effects of his leadership led to the result that the walls of the city of Jerusalem were rebuilt. He waited and he listened. By listening, he obeyed and did what God wanted. And he influenced not only the people of Jerusalem, but ultimately the nation of Israel as a whole. So how do I get the idea that he actually sat down and he waited and listened? So let's read what the crisis is here in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. If you'll turn there with me, if you're not already there. But here's the crisis. Nehemiah is having a conversation with one of his brothers. And his brother says, listen, Judah, Jerusalem, it's a mess. The walls are broken down. This is how it goes. Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed with fire. What it really means is the people are in trouble. <clears throat> so let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hand on this. Don't raise your hand. There's a reason. How many of you last night slept with your windows and doors wide open? And the reason why I don't want you to raise your hand is because I don't want this to be online and then someone realizes that's a great group of people to rob. Right? Now let me ask the reverse. How many of you last night, at least with the bottom level of the home, slept with doors locked and windows closed? Why? Because you don't want someone wandering into your house at 3 o'clock in the morning, going into your refrigerator and eating food. Or even worse, someone actually taking the very things that you feel are precious to your family, right? Now, if you can picture a people living in a city where the walls are broken down as the gates are burned, you have absolutely no protection from your enemies. And your enemies can come and do whatever they want. And so when Nehemiah hears this, what he hears is that the people are in trouble. And obviously they are. But there's another person, in a sense, that we need to look at, is that God, his reputation, in a sense, is in trouble. Because the people coming back expecting God to protect them seems to be vacant at the moment. Where is he? Why isn't he protecting us? And so the crisis is twofold. It's not only what the people are living in, but what the enemies around the people are saying about their God. Like if your God is so good, why isn't he taking care of you kind of thing? And so that's the crisis in which we see with Nehemiah. And yet how does he respond? When I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. The response of Nehemiah is that he actually waited on God and listened for his direction. So his response, even though you don't see the full response here, is pretty simple. Nehemiah says, wow, this is a crisis. This is horrible. I have family that are back there. I have my people who are back there. And they're in trouble, and that really bothers me. 
But what is he going to do? Now, if he was in Jerusalem, he'd have it all set before him. Maybe he could act. But he's not. So he has a couple problems. First of all, I want us to see the time period in which he works. So if you went to chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In late autumn, in the month of Kislev. Now, what that means is come mid-November, mid-December. Now, we're, we're in October, or coming to October. And uh, so if you could think two months from now, in the middle of mid-November, mid-December, is the first time that Nehemiah actually hears this news. But if you flip over to chapter 2, verse 1, before he finally acts, so he hears the news... Mid-November, we'll say uh, November 24th. That's my wedding anniversary, so we'll say November 24th. Here's the news. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, which is four months later. Nehemiah hears the news on November 24th, and he doesn't act until April 8th. Now, those aren't exact dates. I'm just kind of giving you a picture. For four months, this guy is doing nothing. Or so it seems. What I think is, for us to learn here, is that Nehemiah is actually waiting on God. God, what is it that you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? For four months, he's thinking. Now, how many of us would like to wait for something for four months? I don't think most of us. I think our culture is, I want speed. Right? Again, we've said this uh, uh, many times before, but how many of you love when the internet is slow? Right? I mean, you're panicking. Nobody, how many here remembers Juno as an email? Right? Yeah. A- anybody like over a certain age, we remember that. And, and if you, and I remember the first time I got online way back in the 90s, it was slow. Today it's almost like instantaneous, but if it's not like that, we get upset. Because we want these. And how many of us, when we have decisions, really want to actually wait for an answer? Tom Petty once said, the waiting is the hardest part. Y'all know who Tom Petty is, right? Influencer from the 70s and 80s. The waiting is the hardest part. We don't really like to wait. We like instant answers, things to happen fast. We have things to do, places to go, people to see. God, step it up. Let's get into action. And so for four months, he's just doing something. And in that time, I believe he's waiting. Because there's another issue that he has to face, and that is the distance. Because what we learn here in Nehemiah chapter 1 is that in verse 1, he was at the fortress of Susa, which basically means he's anywhere from 800 to 900 miles away from Jerusalem. Okay? Now, for us, take a plane, that's what? How many of you consultants travel? Eight to 900 miles is what? Maybe two hours? John, how about you? Two hours, would you say, by plane? Just say yes. Sure, why not? John says yes, and he's a consultant, so I believe him. Well, not consultant, but you know what I mean. Quick for us. But for them, that could be a three-month journey. So it's not like Nehemiah, who's eventually going to end up in Jerusalem, decides, hey, you know what? I would love to travel for three months. This is awesome. I can't wait to travel by camel and all the slow things that it's going to take because that is absolutely cool. No, in that alone, we see that what he is about to make is a major decision. This is a life-changing decision for Nehemiah. And rather than just simply saying, you know what, 
just going to pick up and go. You see, we can do that. Like if uh, Eugene over there said, you know what, man, I don't want to teach at Deerfield anymore. He can just pick up and go if he gets offered a job somewhere else and just leave. It's not a big deal. You just go and you do it. But back at that time where he's at to travel so far to get to Jerusalem is not an easy decision. There has to be planning that actually goes on because he just can't get up and go 900 miles. It's not like they had a rest stop every 30 to 40 miles where he could stop and get supplies. This would be have to, a major plan. And so this three-month journey is the reason why I completely believe that Nehemiah actually waited on God and listened. But there's another reason. Look at his reaction again when I read it in verse 4. It says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Now, I don't know how to picture this. And this is something that I think that has to be kind of like personalized. But let me ask you a question. When was the last time you wept? mourned, fasted, and prayed. Now, I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty because I had a hard time remembering the last time I did something like this because I've gotten, I think, in a sense, very comfortable with the way I live my life in this world. But for Nehemiah, the weight of what was going on in his life, the grief that he was experiencing, grieving that his people were in trouble, grieving that people were making fun of God, that really bothered him. And so when it says here that for days he did this, it's not like for Monday and Tuesday and he was done, but I believe throughout this whole thing he was burdened. And I think as parents, when we reflect on this, even if we begin to see our kids wander away, it is a burden that we carry with us. This week I was listening to a CD by a man named Jim Simbola. I don't know if you know who he is. He's the pastor uh, of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And uh, he was just talking about when his daughter wandered away, he could remember all the times that in his heart he was grieved as she wandered. Talking about how at times that as he's preaching, he's thinking about his daughter because it was something that was in his heart. And so what we have is this Nehemiah who's reacting to the situation that's going on because he is thoroughly grieved. But then there's another reason why I think he waited on and listened to God. It's because of his job. So if you look at verse 11, this is what he writes pretty clearly and simply. He says, in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. <clears throat> in other words, I'm the poison guy. I'm the guy who drinks the drink. And if it's poison, I die, but the king lives. Okay, That's a pretty important job because if you think about it, you got to trust the guy, right? If you don't trust him, you could be dead. Because how do you know that he has already been taking the antidote to the poison that he's going to drink that doesn't bother him and he gives it to you, right? So you always got to be thinking, do... I know, I, Calvin's always got to say, like, man, that, that, that pastor, he's evil. How did he even think of that? That is, in some ways, the way I am. And that's the idea. You've got to really trust this person who is your right-hand man. Now, eventually, we're going to see that Nehemiah says, oh, king, can I go back and help my people? You don't just drop a job like that. You just don't say, hey, God is leading me. We don't have the same God, but I just want to let you know... Artaxerxes, God is leading me back to my people, so I'll see you later. I'm giving you my two-week notice. I'm all packed up, and I go, it doesn't work that way. And that's why I believe for four months, Nehemiah is fasting and praying because he's saying, God, what is it that you want me to do? Because the reality is, this might not even be a job 
for Nehemiah, but somebody else could do it. Because if you look at chapter 3, verse 1, you read this. It says, then Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. What that tells me is Eliashib was actually there in Jerusalem. If God needed a person to rebuild the walls and the gates, he was already there. That other guy, the spiritual guy, the leader of the spiritual community was there. So when you put all of these things together, what would be the natural reaction of someone like Nehemiah? Lord, I can't go. You got someone else who's already there. I can't leave my job because it's really important. And I can't feel this because I have so much stress in helping the king run the kingdom. The distance is too far. I can't do it. I just can't go. He could say that. And that's one of the options. He could say, I'll send provision. I'll send money. I'll pray that God raises someone up to do this job. And so I think for four months, Nehemiah is asking the simple question. Or aching the simple statement. Lord, here I am. Speak to me. What do you want me to do? And I think this is important. This is an important lesson because if, if there's something that you get out of today, it's this. Those that wait on and listen to God, it's all of us, <clears throat> experience God's hands of favor when we obey. And those who do not wait on and listen to God, don't listen to God, experience chaos. Here's what I mean. Does anyone remember what happened to Abraham when he stopped waiting and he did it his own way? He got another son, Ishmael, created chaos in the family. Does anyone know what happened when the Gibeonites came up to Joshua and said, hey, bro, we're, in your, we're not in your neighborhood. We're from way out, man. Can't you tell by the long journey? And they didn't inquire of the Lord. And because they didn't inquire of the Lord, and then they found out their neighbors, what happened? Chaos. God rebuked them. If we don't wait on and listen to God when God ultimately deals through all the circumstances and we come to the end about this is chaos. But on the flip side, I read this week, David nine times inquired of the Lord before he did anything. Do you remember Jehoshaphat from way back in the early spring that we talked about him? Long series on that. What did he do? They waited on the Lord. They could have went out and attacked. They could have stayed behind and let them laid siege. But instead, they just went out and watched because God had a different plan in mind. They waited they listened, they obeyed, God provided. Think about Habakkuk as he looked at the Babylonians overrunning the land and wondering, God, where are you in all of this? And God said, don't worry, I've got a plan. And Habakkuk's response is, then I will wait for your answer. And the person I think who really did a lot of waiting throughout scripture was Jesus himself. Strange that Jesus, after a night of many miracles happening, goes off and prays, and the disciples come up to him and say, Come on, Jesus, let's go back, man. This place is rocking. We're on the verge of a mega church, bro. We got to minister to these people. And he says, Well, you know what? My dad said we're going somewhere else, and they leave. 
Over and over again, as you read through the New Testament, Jesus is waiting, God speaks, and he obeys. This is why I feel waiting on and listening to God is so important. Now, I'm going to ask a question. Let's see if you have the answer. If you do, you do, you don't, you don't, that's okay. Can you think of a church named Harvest Community Church that could very well be in crisis right now? Did I give that away? We are in crisis, right? Don't we own a building? Aren't we thinking about what the building holds for us in the future? Aren't there issues for us to work with for the city? Aren't there all kinds of issues that relate to the crisis that we are in? And yet we might say, well, it's not really that much of a crisis. It isn't upon us yet. Do you realize that in less than 11 months, we will be in that building having worship service? And there's stuff that surrounds that. And yet there's something that God wants to do in us. And so I, I, I think today as I look at Nehemiah, what the call for the church is pretty simple. Why not go to God and wait on him and listen to him and say, God, Lord, here we are. Speak to us. How do we do the big picture? How do we do the details How do we get to the place where when we settle into this community that what we're doing is what you want us to do and to see your hand of favor rather than to rush forward? Because in a crisis, there are two things that we can do. And I'm not in any way criticizing any way when I say this, but it can happen. And you have them up there. It's coming up. Two things we can do. We can gather, consult, strategize, and then finish all that by asking God to give us wisdom and bless our plans because we want to honor you. That is a danger that any and every church faces on a regular basis when we don't wait on God. Because what we're saying is we have a plan. We are wise. We have strategies. We understand what we want to do. And so God, here it is. We want to honor you. Here's our plans. Bless them. Now, is that horribly, terribly rotten? No, but it's not God's way. God's way is to come and wait and listen. Stop. Seek him. Listen to his voice. Do what he says. What is it that God would have us do in this community in which we live? And will we be willing to do what he's asking, even if it's something that is absolutely strange and different from what we would even Imagine. You know, have you considered all of the things that God might do in that building through his hand of favor on us and how we reach people who we may have very little in common with other than that we live in the same neighborhood? How do you reach people? How do you touch people? What does he want to do in and through us? I don't think they're really easy answers. We could say, yeah, 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 they are. Now, I don't think it's just harvest at a crisis moment. Are there other people here, and you don't have to raise your hand on this, on an individual basis, are you experiencing crisis in your life right now where you don't know what to do? You might even be a place where you're saying in your own heart, why do I even exist? What is my purpose? Why am I here? Sometimes I feel if I were dead, nobody would even miss me. 
And so what does God call that person to do in the midst of crisis? It is not to come up with plans and strategies, which is nothing wrong with that. That has to happen. Because if you really look at Nehemiah, Nehemiah made plans. Nehemiah strategized. But his plans and his strategy was based on what God wants to do and how God wanted to do it. So please don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to say that and make it all spiritual and it's all about Jesus and we'll just trust the Holy Spirit because many a church has said God will never let us fail because we have the Holy Spirit and we've seen failure. You see, what Nehemiah is teaching us is that leadership is influence. And if I take it a step further, Christian leadership is influencing people to conformity to Jesus Christ, to become more like Christ. We have the ability to influence people, but it happens when we wait on God and listen to what it is that he wants to do, and then we do it. This is not an easy process, and the reason I don't think it is an easy process is because it took Nehemiah four months of waiting before he actually had not only the plan, but also the courage to approach the king. It took years of Abraham waiting to see God fulfill his promise, but it was worth the wait. The thing that I think here today is very important. I believe Harvest, in a sense, is in a crisis. Not the crisis where we're about to fold and flop and never exist as a church anymore. But the crisis of God, what do you want us to do? Here is an opportunity for you to move in us. Here is an opportunity for you to move through us. And we can miss this if we don't wait and listen to what you have to say and how you want to lead us. Because true Christian leadership isn't just about getting it right. The true Christian leadership is about getting it right in God's eyes. And his ways are not our ways. He does things that are different, that are unique. And so what I want to do is I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And before we head into communion, you can either just take this time now and wait by yourself or turn to the person or people next to you and just say, let's pray for our church and how we move forward as a church as well as with our building. Because we are here, if we understand correctly, in this community to be an influence. Not just to do good things, but to do good things in the name of Jesus. So that the people who are here in this community, or even in the community where you live and work, you are there for a reason. God calls us to lead. God calls us to influence for Christ. We may not know how to do that always. But the call is to wait and listen. So I'm going to ask you by yourself, if you're praying, that's fine. You want to turn to somebody and just say, hey, let's pray for harvest. And let's just pray for patience as we wait. So I'm going to give us about two minutes to just pray either by yourself or somebody next to you. Simple prayer. Lord, here we are. Here I am. Speak to me.
will wait. I will listen. We want to obey. We want to do what you're asking. We want to influence this community. We want to influence our family. We want to influence our neighborhood. I want to influence people that work. So let's take that time before we have communion, and then I'll invite us up to communion. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.